Welcome and welcome back everyone. You are listening to the fourth episode of the second season of Free Flow. If you are new here, then do not forget to follow us on your podcast listening app, Instagram and LinkedIn. The links are in the description already. As promised, expect nothing less than insightful conversations with experts in this season. Today we are going to talk about India-US relations and the Indo-Pacific tensions with Biden completing a year as the potter with numerous Chinese aggression in the Indian borders and uh, we'll also look at how promising does quad look in 2022. Our guest speaker Mr. Udayan Das is here. Udayan Das is an assistant professor at the Department of Political Science St Xavier's College uh, Kolkata. He is a doctoral candidate at the Department of International Relations Radhapur University. Previously he has been a faculty at Amity University Kolkata and Scottish Church College University of Calcutta. Udayan was awarded the James Roach Pre-Doctoral Fellowship by the Center for International Programs Osmania University Hyderabad and he writes on issues of international maritime affairs, South Asian politics and India's foreign policy his doctoral thesis is titled understanding maritime regions the bay of bengal as the case as a case study welcome udayan it is a honor to have you on board thank you so much for a generous introduction thank you all right let's uh, dive into the topic directly uh, since the turn of the millennium uh, coinciding with the realization that the cold war had ended you know and the geopolitical and geoeconomic uh, center of the world shifted from the atlantic ocean to what is now called the indo-pacific region uh, since then much of india's world view too has been dominated either by the prism of the india china us triangle or what the india us relation uh, relationship means for new delhi's engagement with an assertive neighbor namely china so china has quite an influence in uh, defining the current uh, india us relations and for quite some time uh, for quite some years in fact uh, china's ambitions in the uh, south china sea has threatened what the quad now calls free and open indo pacific anchored with democratic values uh, taking that forward could you please walk us through how the current biden administration is approaching this situation and uh, how you know it differs from trumps if at all right there's there's a lot of uh, aspects to unpack here with what you have started uh, first of all i mean uh, the aspects of foreign policy are basically determined through certain determinants okay so these determinants mm-hmm. can be actors these determinants can be geography these determinants can be population economic interests there can be various determinants so uh, the perspective that you are talking about is by looking at foreign policy or india's foreign policy from the point of view of number one china and the point of view of united states and how that is playing out in this region which has mm. been known by several names indo pacific indian ocean region asia pacific uh, those names are also uh, heavily politicized and those mean different things to different countries but we'll come to that in a minute uh, mm. in terms of the change of course this region and this region has been often called the center stage of 21st century politics because of the fact that these actors that are operating in the region have made it the center stage of world politics right right yeah so there are broadly speaking there are three points on which this activeness of the region is dependent on on why this region is the strategic theater of the modern world 
one axis is the great power politics that is going on between united states and china mm. the gap between the united states and china is diminishing and as well that gives rise to the question that whether there is a power transition that is there in the future or not how that yeah. power transition will will follow is is one another question whether that will be a peaceful power transition whether that will be a conflictual power transition that will define what are the rules of the game that are being set in the region the second uh, point is about asian geopolitics itself and there india china rivalry plays a huge role in this region mm-hmm. uh, is about the fact that it, it has been called a security dilemma in the waters that we are talking about the indian ocean region which is that the actions that are even defensive are perceived to be offensive leading to further right right a spiraling yeah. of actions and the third point is is also a very critical point with regard to indian ocean region which is the point that on one hand this region is is of states which are zealously guarding sovereignty which are very obsessed about sovereignty on the, mm-hmm. the other hand the region is also increasingly getting interconnected because of the connections of geoeconomics and geopolitics the mm-hmm. most of the aid that goes through in and out of the world is passing through these waters and essentially that also gives rise to a certain level of energy security and it's a heavily thickly populated region it's a region that also has several middle powers that are operating the east asian tigers the southeast asian states and as a result of which there is a kind of a tension there that how much do we cooperate and how much do we compete so that right. is also that is also one of the perspectives that one can explore in the indian ocean so as a result of which there are uh, there are these three trends operating simultaneously in the region alongside a rising china and a united states which is reimagining its policy for for a certain decade now uh, it started mm-hmm. off with the pivot to asia that was pitched by obama taken forward uh, by uh, the trump administration thereafter and now the biden administration is talking about it which is what which is basically somewhere in the middle of a grand strategy and a offshore rebalancing strategy which basically right. is that the fact that we will not have absolute presence of boots on the ground and we will also simultaneously rely on regional allies to carry the work which is a counterbalance yeah yeah, yeah. again china So on one hand there is China which is uh, talking about the fact that uh, you can't convert the Indo-Pacific into a club because that inherently restricts the idea of how oceans should be dealt with. On the yeah. other hand uh, the quote talks about the fact that uh, what is the function that you're performing is what finds the freeness the openness of the region so you cannot have mm-hmm. a delta policy you cannot have a very anti-access area denial kind of a strategy going on in the region. and you call it a level playing ground so these are yeah. two tensions that are that are also operating between a block that us is coming up with uh, which is a, i mean you can call it the quad you can call it the quad plus you can call it by different names different organizations and on the other side there is there are projects like the maritime silk road there's the maritime i mm. mean the one belt one road initiative so it's about what are the rules of the game that are being set for these regions and there are two tendencies of that being taken up china is encouraging one sort of a tendency united states is is encouraging another sort of a tendency and it's a, it's a tension between these two that are basically playing out the quad is somewhere in between that uh, in between that tension from the us perspective where the us is trying to realign its its interests in this part of the world mm. and it's trying to bring in 
countries like Japan, Australia, India, which are seen as favorable countries, which are also seen as countries which, which could potentially balance China uh, in terms of the mm -hmm. threat perception that China brings into the uh, into the region, and right. therefore pushing up and and taking up the mantle of that kind of a rebalancing strategy. Okay, so like you said, how it's uh, trying to include. Although I mean, it was set up in two thousand seven, the Quad, uh, like how it's trying to be more inclusive and you know, uh, it's trying to leverage uh, other countries in terms of navigation in Indo-Pacific. Uh, like in that terms, do you think India's significance in this Indo-Pacific uh, conflict has somewhat increased in recent times? Like from being a passive member of Quad to now being more vocal about it. Uh, not to mention its interest with that of Quad now aligns with, uh, you know, with the outset of Chinese aggression on both Indian uh, land and uh, Indian Ocean. Yeah, uh, I mean, if, if you look at this question, it's an interesting question. If you look at it from two sides, I mean, uh, it will get a good view of it. Okay, hmm. So the first side is if you look at the American side, the Americans started taking note of India at the turn of the century because it felt that India's rise to power is something that can potentially benefit them in the region. Right, Just right. Fact that, uh, I mean, why is it that uh, throughout the Cold War, the Americans were in favor of the Pakistanis and, and not in favor of the Indians yeah. when, it yeah. came, when it came to take the sides? It's because of the fact that there was a significant shift that happened in the 1990s with regard to India's metrics of power. And as a result of which, it, it took note of the fact that India could potentially uh, be a country that can be drawn into the calculus to balance China. Okay, so right, that was, that right. was something. And that is precisely why you talk of Indo-Pacific rather than an Asia-Pacific nowadays. It's basically about shifting more westward when it comes to America mm. uh, in terms of the ocean. So America's idea has always been that India should do a lot more than what it is doing with regard to countering China. That's mm -hmm. American perspective. Uh, but the, if you look at it from the Indian perspective, now there, there are a couple of things that we need to take into account. The first thing is that the threat from China is not only a maritime threat, but a primarily a territorial threat that we have. And therefore, yeah. India's, India's strategy towards China, at least uh, since the years of Rajiv Gandhi, has been that in areas where we can, we can cooperate, we will cooperate. In the rest of the areas which are left with, we will compete perhaps. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a strategy of a combination of cooperation and conflict that India mm. and China they carry out with. And it is in the interests that it does not absolutely go all out against China because the stakes are also very high with regard to the power gap that exists between India and China. Okay, yeah, so exactly. India can also not afford to go absolutely the stance that United States can afford to take with, with regard to China because it has yeah. territorial interest. It, it has a huge power gap that is there. Okay, so I mean, one of the one of the finest minds in international relations, uh, Kanti Bajpai, uh, explains it as a four P problem, which is um, the perception, the perimeter, the partnership, and power. These okay. are the these are the four P's that define uh, India-China relations. Possibly a fifth P, Pakistan, but let's not go there. The yeah. So, do you also think this is one of the reasons why, uh, like previous year, when you know Trump offered to uh, help in the whole conflict? which was going on uh, in May 2020, uh, India just rejected the offer saying that, you know, it's a bilateral issue and we can solve it ourselves. 
I mean, India has faced its troubles in terms of internationalizing several issues, like the issue of Kashmir. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, it generally keeps it as a bilateral, I mean, a bilateral issue in that sense. And in also, if you look at it from that perspective, I mean, India has always has an hesitation, and this is a hesitation that has remained in Indian strategic thinking for some time now, and for for reasons that can be rational as well, which is that we are not very open about. telling ourselves in being in an alliance we are not so comfortable with talking the mm-hmm. fact we are in an alliance so india has been known to be somewhere in the interface of of that i mean i mean or, or being neutral or, or just being calculative enough being calculative what india talks about uh, the the phrase that india often uses in this case is strategic autonomy which which was right. you know alignment in the years of the cold war and it has reoriented itself into a more uh, let's say a robust term of strategic autonomy which basically yeah. will take decisions on our own and if you see the nature of india's heads meetings i mean uh, the kind of meetings that india have i mean often you will find that a us or a quad meet would be followed up by a russia meet or a china meet would yeah, be followed yeah up. <laughs> yeah was, yeah so it was it was something that uh, uh it was it was a joke that was said that on mondays wednesdays and fridays <laughs> india used to talk with us and on tuesdays thursdays and saturdays india used to talk to soviet union and sunday we used to build bridges so <laughs> uh there there is always a hesitancy in that sense and we term it the strategic autonomy some people say a uh, hesitancy strategic hedging there's there's a lot of yeah uh, about, you think also this strategy is kind of costing us right now or can cost us in the future to some extent there is a strategic definitiveness that is needed in some cases but we also need to take into account that the stakes that we have are not mm-hmm. the stakes that extra regional countries have like america i mean america yeah, has right, right, right. a real stake of a territorial conflict with china yeah, yeah. So, but india does have and the power symmetry is such that if you look at it from a very rational perspective if you place yourself on the part of a practitioner or a policy maker then you could very well identify the fact that the calculations that need to be taken into account are not so easy in india's case i mean because yeah. of the fact that we have a fraught neighborhood uh, because of the fact that our power asymmetry is pretty much on the higher and it's increasing with regard to china we have a border mm-hmm. conflict that has uh, that has created several flashpoints in the past decades and so that's that's not a easy decision to make in terms of going a very uh, advanced right line yeah yeah So yeah, I mean, uh, right now with China's uh, ambitious uh, Belt and Road Initiative and uh, debt trap diplomacy, you know, to claiming an old Chinese map with all possible border expansions in Taiwan and Hong Kong and Vietnam, uh, with these matters coming in close, do you think uh, Quad uh, looks promising enough for twenty twenty two? And the twenty twenty one Quad summit like reiterated their commitment to a free and open Indo Pacific region that is uh, undaunted by coercion, whereas China calls it you know like it's doomed to fail. So, what do you think uh, the approach uh, for Quad typically should be for twenty twenty two? Well, uh, I mean, if you just place yourself. Uh, or if we all uh, look at it from the perspective of the middle powers or the countries that are uh, basically supported by china or a part of the belt and road initiative right mm-hmm. look at it from that perspective then china at the cost of a very hierarchical or a very brutal economic model is mm-hmm. often 
think that the quad is it if you know <laughs> that yeah. Okay. yeah so for example i mean i i understand that it's uh, i mean if you just look at the case of sri lanka if you look at the case of bangladesh absolutely absolutely these are these countries are in need of several connectivity projects they are in need right. of money. they are in need of money okay, right. what is the other alternative that that you have there is no other alternative that uh, that india can pitch for i mean we have not been very good at deliverables the project right. uh, the project mosam that was supposed to be a counter punch to the me- right. right did not okay we are unable to build the transnational highway for several years now okay, so we yeah. have not able to uh, i mean i might sound extremely critical or cynical in that sense but we have not been able to pitch in for our own port development projects like sagarmala uh, we have not been able to do that we have right. not been able to develop up so we have to understand and a very rational calculative model if you look at it so these states are buying into the policy of the maritime silk route or one belt one road mm. it is something there that they are buying for so right. where whereas the alternative is empty whereas the alternative box is empty right so what, right what is it that they reject the chinese investments for so i yeah. can un- see these countries these countries so like they are not have- privileged enough to reject the chinese investments even I- even if it costs them uh, you know their diplomatic uh, relations like like the they dead have- trap diplomacy they have to show something to their domestic audience right oh they yes have- right they have they have to put forward something to the domestic audience okay so uh, what is it that they they put forward what is it that the stat- what is it that they give to the domestic audience as something which is capable of pitching the leadership mm-hmm. the holding of the leadership so many countries cannot afford that's why to leave the chinese investments and join the quad route in a sense okay? because mm-hmm. for example i mean for a long period of time australia was hesitant because of the fact absolutely that, because of the fact that australia's major australia's economic relations are tied up with china so if you are rejecting one camp for the other you have to mm. have something as as the alternative okay so it's it's a very basic common sensical kind of an argument that that is being put out and mm. very honest i mean a quad has been obviously i mean if you look at the recent developments of quad one the last one year it has broadened its horizon it has broadened its topic its agenda it's looking much more consolidated than what it was before but it's still far from projecting something concrete in terms of how they are going to deal with this issue of chinese assertion in the region what they are doing is they are pitching up a military equivalent of the fact that okay we are going to have joint exercises we are going to have uh, consolidated they are basically patrolling exercises mm-hmm. uh, anti piracy uh, missions and things like that uh, coordination among navies this is a military alternative to something which can potentially turn out to be a flashpoint if you look at the chinese project it's a combination of geopolitics and geoeconomic they are offering mm-hmm. something additional to security they are offering something additional to security umbrella and mm-hmm. that is that is not there in quad as of yet i mean what it will uh, take shape into that's something for the future to decide but as of now uh, if you look at it from the perspective of the middle ranging states it does not really offer what the chinese can potentially offer right right and these guys who are giving in into uh, into silk route project or bri have no option left or they have no uh, alternative at hand which is why uh, yeah, and, and also considering quad is not really concrete and what what it's projecting uh, I mean, in the international forum 
if you look at quad as a, as a as a grouping within i mean there are several fault lines that come out within quad okay. so right. for example for example australia was a, was a country that was not a, a part of the quadrilateral at least the military quadrilateral before the malabar exercises in 2020 hmm. if you look at if you look at india and us as well i mean there uh, i mean the coming of trump also had several issues like the h1b visa like the differences that emerged between united states and india were also on the hmm. right i mean even if you look at the potential position of these two countries with respect to how they view uh, Uh, let's say maritime security or sea lines of communication uh, their perceptions are not very similar okay so there are mm. in the armor with regard to quad as well they have broadened the horizon no doubt and the countries have taken it more serious but there is a fundamental question on which the future of quad is dependent and the fundamental question is that how is it that the united states and china decide to deal their relationship Right. If, if United States and China, I mean, if you see two probable scenarios, okay, so one scenario is that United States and China, they are they are perpetually in this cycle of conflict, or if not conflict, in 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 terms of competition. If that is the scenario, then of course Quad will be a viable cycle, and American leadership will try to pitch in for Quad. in the policy yeah. because they have learned the hard lessons in west asia they have learned the hard lessons in middle east and they will not go for a full legit kind of a boots on ground strategy or mm-hmm. in boots on water strategy so they will focus more on the alliance building they will focus more on institutional building they would focus more on offshore balancing and these sort of things in order to balance china but if united states and and uh, china they decide that they will deal with their relationship in a more cooperative manner whereby they would have a recalibration of sorts they would have a deescalation of sorts then mm. automatically the i mean i would not say that quad will become redundant but quad would certainly change its orientation from great power politics or more strategic politics to more non traditional aspects of security to more economic aspects of yeah. institutional wealth okay so these right. two scenarios we are need, we need to keep in mind with regard to the future of the world right okay so i mean do you think uh, like you said uh, like the first the formal point of how it has to i mean us would have to focus into the institutional aspect of it if it wants to you know fight uh, or or try to like prevent chinese assertion or chinese uh, hegemony in asia in that case do you think it will have to uh, you know join hands with other nations in order to uh, build an institutional framework like china did for bri certainly certainly and and that is something that united states uh, i mean centers around asean as well it centers around quad uh, so one of the features about this region this region of indo pacific or if you look at um, i mean indian ocean as well uh, one mm-hmm. of the re- one of the features of this region is that there is a lot of overlapping regional institutions that operate because of the fact that this region is yeah. such a, this region is such a vast region and uh, there can never be one single point agenda with regard to this region so there are centers of several kinds so there are several institutions that are operating parallelly or simultaneously and the united states is pitching into these institutions i mean intermittently as well be it the quad be it the asean centrality and things like that but there is a opposite 
oppositional force as well coming from china mm-hmm. it also creating several fault lines given the fact mm-hmm. that it, that asean i mean the countries within asean are to some extent divided on the issue as, as to how to how to deal with china the countries right, within right. the quad are also not very sure as to whether they can figure out one way of dealing with china Yeah, so, I mean they have uh, quite some ana- alliances uh, throughout. There's Quad, there's ASEAN, there's AUKUS, yeah. and uh, I mean all of them, uh, for that matter, have like a common um, common agenda or or you know perspective towards Indo-Pacific region or its uh, navigation. Um, right. Yeah, right. but 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 like uh, China on the face just uh, you know like dismisses the whole thing, saying that well you can't really do anything about it. I mean, if yes. you look at it, I mean, it's not that you cannot. And that like, makes sense, right? Yeah, you, exactly. That that is what I was coming to. That if you look at it from that point of view, it's not very difficult to rationalize China's stance as well. I mean, right. it's a it's a country that is now more stable with regard to its land borders. It's a country which is which is booming in terms of its demographics, in terms of its numbers, uh, and therefore it has to branch outside of of its territories in order to gain national interests. Right. the moment you the moment you have your stakes outside the moment you have your assets in a far flung region and in this case the middle east then you also have to have a tendency to secure those assets okay so that mm-hmm. gives, that gives rise to the fact that my energy would be traveling across indian ocean to my shores mm-hmm. which is a long way coming from the middle east crossing india's arc of influence then going into the straits of malacca coming to my eastern coastline and in all this all, all this while i need a considerable strategic dimension to protect my security right energy so i i want to decide the rules of the game in this region because mm-hmm. it's important to so right. the fact that my energy is traveling the, the the need of my country or the potential sources of development of my state and my people are traveling through these waters so i need to guard these waters is the mentality okay, now yeah. the fact is the difficulty is this that unlike territories unlike countries oceans are nobody's singular monopoly okay, so hmm. you have you have to have a certain amount of cooperative investment in dealing with global commons as well hmm. so the high seas are are nobody's personal property they are nobody's uh, i mean territorial territorially guarded regions there the problem lies there the conflict lies in terms of the imagination that these countries have the differences in terms of what they believe in and how the, they should deal with these regions is where the conflict starts right yeah uh yeah that was quite an insightful discussion uh, thank you for joining with us uh thank you for your expertise thank you for the questions wonderful questions great to have a conversation with you thank you thank for the you. I had great fun talking to you, and I wish all the best to Free Flow podcasts. And uh, I hope they get popular because it's uh, something that uh, they offer, which is insightful, right. insightful <laughs> in, a, in a conversational way, and uh, yeah. it's fun. Thank so, you, thank you. Uh, yeah, all right. I hope you guys had uh, learned something new today, and that's it. Thank you for listening. If you liked the podcast and you would like more po- uh, more episodes like this. then do not forget to follow free flow on your podcast listening app instagram and linkedin cheers